Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Students at the University of South Florida are leading a campus walkout this Thursday to protest controversial decisions made by state leaders. The walkout will include other Florida colleges, universities and high schools, and the protest began with an online petition calling on USF to deny the state's request for medical records of people experiencing gender dysphoria. Now, the campaign has expanded following Governor DeSantis's pledge to defund initiatives for diversity, equity and inclusion, or DEI. Today on Florida Matters, we'll discuss DEI in Florida schools, including the turmoil at New College in Sarasota, after DeSantis appointed a slate of new board members and controversy over the hiring of the former Education Commissioner as interim president. Later in the show, we'll feature WUSF audio postcards highlighting black history this month. First, though, I sat down with three WUSF journalists to discuss diversity, equity and inclusion in Florida schools and the controversial decisions made by state leaders. Kerry Sheridan covers K-12 education and health, Kathy Carter has been reporting on the situation at New College, and Megan Bowman is WUSF's radio news intern and is covering the response to the state's request for transgender people's health records. Kathy Carter, let me start with you. Uh, New College now has a new interim president, a new board. Tell us more about Richard Corcoran's appointment. How did he end up leading this college? Well, Richard Corcoran, who is a Republican, he served as the Speaker of the House uh, in Florida. He was uh, also the state's education commissioner under Ron DeSantis. His name actually uh, came up at the last board meeting of the new college board from Matthew Spaulding, who's a dean at Hillsdale College, which is the small private Christian school in Michigan that Governor Ron DeSantis uh, has said he wants to model new college on. Now, this is controversial because this news of Richard Corcoran being named interim president came up before the board meeting. It was leaked, and at the time, students from New College were having a rally. And Patricia Oker, the president at the time at New College, was at this board meeting. It was very shocking to people uh, in the audience. And if I remember correctly, there were people in the audience in that board meeting asking Patricia Oka to stay on and she said something to the effect of I'm going to disappoint you and I'm leaving. Well that probably happened just hours before the meeting when the news was leaked that Richard Corcoran uh, would be coming in. She had an opportunity to either resign or to negotiate an exit package and of course that is what she did. There's also some controversy is there not Kathy over the salary of Mr. Corcoran. He's being paid, I think, double or something like that, what Patricia Oka was being paid to lead the college. Well, the contract as it stands right now would be uh, Richard Corcoran would be receiving an annual salary of $699,000. That's pretty much averages out to about $1,000 per student because New College has a student enrollment of 700 people. In addition to that nearly $700,000, Richard Corcoran uh, has been offered $84,000 a year for a housing allowance and $12,000 a year for automobile allowance. What have board members of New College said about what they want to do with the college? What is the plan to transform this place? 
Well, during his inauguration speech, Governor Ron DeSantis said that the universities here in Florida and the state colleges support a woke ideology, which is kind of a catch-all term for what conservatives consider progressive kinds uh, of ideology. So the board that he put together for New College, six conservative members. We do have uh, Matthew Spaulding, as I spoke of before, who is the dean of Hillsdale College. We also have a education activist, Christopher Rufo, who was on stage with Governor Ron DeSantis last year when Governor Ron DeSantis signed the Parental Rights in Education Law. Christopher Rufo is very active on Twitter. And in just the past couple of weeks, he has released what he calls reports on the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at uh, Florida State, at USF, at UCF, saying that they're all radical and out of control. And you've been reporting this story out since there was first a suggestion that change was afoot at New College, Kathy. What have students been saying? What have faculty been saying about the changes overall? Well, I mean, it, students, of course, are upset. If you are in high school, you think for, you know, your sophomore from your junior year, you're starting to think about where you want to go to college. So you are visiting colleges, you're in, investing in, in finding out what this college is like. So they picked new college for a certain reason. And now whatever they thought it was going to be is complete 180 degree turn in their minds. So parents are parents. I've spoken with a lot of parents and they're just angry, angry on behalf of their children. Uh, the students I've seen have been mostly sad. Uh, the faculty, these are working adults. They have families to support. They've, they're being less um, vocal. But that's changing. We're, we're really starting to see some of the faculty talk about how they're concerned with the direction that new college uh, is going. But, you know, if you if you look at the other side, you know, they're, they're, the conservatives are saying this is the way to go. New college has been losing enrollment for years. The, the facilities are just not good enough. And now we have DeSantis who's going to bring in all this money. So um, that's where it stands right now. Megan Bowman, let me turn to you. The DeSantis administration is requesting information about students seeking gender-affirming care. What can you tell us about what the administration wants and, and why they want that information? Sure. So in January, they sent a memo to schools in Florida, 12 schools, and I have the memo here. Our office has learned several state universities provide services to persons suffering from gender dysphoria. They're asking for information, a breakdown of age of students, whether 18 or older, 18 or younger, how many are prescribed hormones or hormone blockers, those who've had surgeries typical to gender reassignment like mastectomies or breast augmentation or even reconstruction surgeries. When I reached out to USF, all I received back was a comment that they have an obligation to be responsive to these requests, but they would not provide any identifying information. So they want to know basically what students are receiving as far as services. And yeah, there's really no clear reason why they're actually asking for this information. And how has the University of South Florida responded to the request? Well, as far as I know they are planning to send the records, and that was when I spoke to them before. Now, the date that they were given by the administration was February 10th. So based on their response to me prior to February 10th, 
they had full plans to give that information. And Megan, you've covered a couple of rallies at the University of South Florida. Tell us a little more, if you could, about what you've been hearing from these students. How, how do they feel about what's happening here? They're nervous. They're scared. And, and really, so I, I talked to a few people who said they love USF. They spend their tuition dollars there, and they just want to feel that same love back from the organization. And a big concern is of doxing because there are so few students at USF who have had transgender uh, treatments and things of that nature. They're worried that when these records are released, it'll be very easy to see what records belong to what students. So even though no name is being given, it may be easy for people to figure that out. Right. And a a bit of disappointment, too, I imagine, at the fact that the University of South Florida says, yes, it will release the information. I think the first uh, rally you covered, students were hoping that USF would take a stand and say no. They were. And actually, Ben Braver is, you know, the student, he is the USF student that kind of organized all of that. He told me that he did have a meeting and he took a huge binder with 86 pages of signatures from faculty, alumni, um, and students, and even non-students, even people not uh, involved in it. Mm -hmm. Took it to the provost, took it to uh, administration, and they said, you know, fight the good fight, keep it up. And he left that meeting feeling it was really productive. But Even he said, you know, we wanted to see the president stand up. And unfortunately, they just weren't in a position to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Kathy Carter, if I could come back to you for a moment and New College, those profound changes happening there. How do you see that fitting into what's happening elsewhere in education policy in Florida? And specifically board member Christopher Rufo, who you mentioned before, he says he's helping the governor dismantle DEI initiatives in higher education. So is New College a model for changes that could be brought about at other universities? Well, if you would uh, drive past the New College campus on Tamiami Trail in Sarasota, you would see a sign, a big sign that says, your campus is next. So there is concern. You know, as Megan said, it's kind of having a chilling effect. People are worried. Already Christopher Rufo has, as I said, singled out Florida State, Uh, USF, UCF. He put a motion before the board at the last board meeting of New College to abolish the Office of DEI, Diversity, uh, Equity, and Inclusion at New College. That did not go through because as some of the New College trustees that had been on the board for quite some time pointed out to him, this particular office at New College is not just DEI. It also serves to write grant programs and that sort of thing because it's a small college, so people do more than one job. But there's a board meeting coming up, and they asked, Christopher Rufo asked New College to come up with how they could implement doing away with uh, diversity and equity inclusion, and uh, that board meeting's at the end of the month, and it's expected that he will bring it up again. Mm -hmm. Kerry Sheridan, if I could bring you into this conversation, elsewhere in the education system in Florida, you have books being taken off school library shelves, school boards are becoming more partisan and polarized. What's this all mean for students and teachers? Well, to echo something Kathy said earlier, I think a few months ago we would have said that the new laws are having a chilling effect, and to an extent they still are. 
definitely having a chilling effect on what teachers feel they can say, what students can talk about. Uh, that's still true to an extent, but we are definitely seeing more people speak up. I was at the Pinellas County School Board meeting last week uh, for three hours, and there were almost two dozen speakers uh, speaking out against the removal of The Bluest Eye, the book by Toni Morrison from the Pinellas County High Schools. Lots of people very concerned about it, lots of people now speaking out about these changes, protesting the changes, and hopeful that their voices will lead to some sort of positive change. Is there anything that I didn't ask any of you that you wanted to mention? I do. Um, I think it is important to point out that uh, the Chronicle of Higher Education tracked down the exact numbers of uh, the DEI programs across Florida's universities. And according to their reporting, each of the 12 came in at 1% or a fraction of 1% of their budget. Kind of bouncing off what Kathy and Carrie said, that word woke and wokeness, that's something that the students wrote into their stand for freedom, which is the name of this organized walkout happening February 23rd. And they really just try to say, you know, they're being told well, me too, because I'm a USF student, right? We're being told that we are being indoctrinated by this wokeness, but the verbiage in the stand, you know, is saying that he's actually using the students as his narrative and in turn destroying the communities and the networks that are built. The DEI and LGBTQ, it goes deeper than just classes and what they're teaching. Like we're talking clubs, organizations, fraternities, sororities, these are their networks, you know, your chosen family. And I think students are really scared of losing that support. We've been speaking with WSF's Kathy Carter. Kathy, thank you so much for your reporting and for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. And Megan Bowman, WSF Rush Family Radio News intern. Megan, thanks so much for your reporting and for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. Also joining the conversation, WUSF's Kerry Sheridan. After the break, we'll continue the conversation with her about an audio postcard series, hearing from educators and community leaders about the importance of black history. That's after the Department of Education rejected an AP African American Studies course available to be taught in Florida high schools. You're listening to Florida Matters. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about diversity and inclusion in Florida schools from K through 12 to colleges and universities following controversial decisions made by state leaders. One of those decisions, the State Department of Education rejected an advanced placement course on African American studies that was available to be taught in Florida high schools. So this month, WUSF's Kerry Sheridan has been talking with educators and community members about the importance of black history. I want to ask about the postcard series that you've been producing this month, Kerry, now, Governor Ron DeSantis has faced criticism over the decision to reject an advanced placement course on African-American studies to be taught in Florida high schools. And February is Black History Month. You've been talking with educators, historians, community leaders about why teaching the full scope of history is more important than ever. Can you talk a little bit about what led up to the series and why it's important to learn about black history? Sure. I think so often media coverage 
tends to go to the extremes of what people are saying or reacting to. And I really wanted to give uh, some space to some of the educators that I've met through my reporting and just to people in the community who have had an interesting learning experience about black history or who lived through a part of history that changed their life, just to give them space to tell those stories and talk about why teaching black history is really important because we know that it is and we're seeing a lot of headlines in Florida and and actions taken by the governor to, for instance, rejecting the AP African American history course and perhaps more broadly to reject AP courses altogether and, and that is worrying people. So the idea behind this project was just to give people space to sort of populate the airways with what people who study this topic or live this topic have to say about it. Mm-hmm. And what kind of responses have you been getting from listeners? This has been so interesting, and we have had so many great responses. I, I have to say that I've even talked to some people. I, I don't have space to air what they said because we've had quite a lot of people uh, reach out to tell their stories, and they're so interesting from uh, teachers to uh, just people in the community, uh, people who are white, people who are black, all sharing Um, things that really are meaningful to them in their history. And a lot of them say they don't feel that they learned black history adequately enough in school, and they've taken it upon themselves to learn about things since. And that's been really interesting. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the specific audio postcards you've aired this month. Laray Davis is a middle school teacher. She makes the point that black history isn't just for African Americans. It's for all Americans to learn. Let's take a listen. My name is Lare Davis, and I am a middle school language arts teacher in Apollo Beach. I think it's important, especially for African-American students, to understand that their history did not start at slavery. Because when you, as a student, it's hard to find value in yourself when you look in the mirror, when you start that study at such a violent uh, start to history, so to speak. And so I think it's important for us to predate our history and educate students on the kings and queens and the innovators and the educators and the artists and civil leaders that predated uh, slavery in this country. I think it's important to weave Black history into your everyday conversations. It's important to weave it throughout the entire school year. And I do that by showcasing material that highlights African-Americans. So for instance, right now, I am reading with my sixth grade language arts students a series of books written by Jason Reynolds. Um, It's a track series And the first book that we read together that excited my sixth grade learners was Ghost. And so we finished that in no time, and they were super excited about reading the next series, which is the second book, Patina. So we're reading that now. And I don't know, maybe it's just been my mission as an educator to to open up the minds and the hearts of of black students to get them to understand exactly who they are because I truly feel like if you don't know who you are then you won't know where you're going. Black history is not just for African Americans it's for all of us. Black history is American history and it is 
equally as important for students of all races to know and be able to place value on the African-American experience. And so I think that white children, Asian children, Hispanic children, doesn't matter their background. It's important for them to learn because honestly, children are curious. They are curious by nature and they want to know answers to questions. And I would venture to say they want to ask the hard questions. They want to know the why. I would just like to say that really, truly, it's a privilege to be an educator, and even more so in this very um, polarized environment that we're in right now. So to have the ability to impact their lives and to help them to kind of clear up some foggy areas in their minds and in their hearts and be that teacher that they will look back on in their lives and say, you know, Miss Davis was hard on me, but she always told me the truth. That was middle school teacher Larray Davis. So, Kerry, what stood out for you about this conversation? You know, Larray Davis reached out to me um, last year after I wrote an article about in August about uh, Booker High School and some of the students there who were saying we're not being indoctrinated. It's a line that we hear the governor uh, say often that um, they're against indoctrination. But the students that I met there were saying we're not being indoctrinated. We're studying topics that we want to learn about. And Lorraine Davis had seen that article and reached out to me just to share what she does in class and that she, she identified with that. And she was happy and hopeful to see students say that because she felt that that was the experience that her students have too. And she told me about a Black History Hall of Fame that she had created for her middle school students and how she focused on um, heroes in Black history and not just the, the atrocities of slavery so that children would have people to look up to and to understand themselves better through that light. So um, I was really looking forward to a chance to be able to share Lorray Davis's perspective. So that's why we started the series with her. Mm -hmm. Now, you also talked with Cheryl Rodriguez, a professor of Africana Studies at USF. Let's hear Cheryl Rodriguez's insights into black history. I'm Cheryl Rodriguez. I am a professor of Africana Studies and Anthropology at the University of South Florida. I was born during the era of segregation and just on the cusp of the beginning of the civil rights movement. So that is something that informs me as a teacher. It's not something that makes me sad or that is a source of anger. Rather, it is a source of knowledge and empowerment. One of the tragedies of that era, the Jim Crow era, was the invisibility of knowledge about Black people's suffering and triumphs, when there was silence about slavery, when there was silence about racial segregation, there was also shame and pain and embarrassment associated with our history. I'm not a historian, but history is the foundation of my research and teaching. So for example, when I teach about race, my students learn the history of race science and the ways in which different groups of people are categorized, were categorized historically, and the ways in which the science of human beings 
has developed and grown so that we understand that race is a socially constructed concept, not a biological concept. When thinking about the importance of teaching black history, I often quote James Baldwin, who wrote a lot about history and its importance in our lives. You have to realize that all right, you are a Negro and this is all true, but before that you are a man and your life is in your hands. And uh, he wrote something like this. He says, the tale of how we suffer, how we are delighted and how we may triumph is never new, but it must be heard. Baldwin also said that this history is the only light we've got in all this darkness. So the birth and development of Black studies was really a powerful source that allowed people to study our history, to study our culture without shame. Students love this knowledge. Students are hungry for this knowledge. And I teach every ethnic group on campus. Many, many students take my classes. And there's not a day that passes that I don't get an email or a call from students saying, thank you. I think that today when we see Black people celebrating and joyful, I think it is just that we have grown in our knowledge of who we are. And when you hear Cheryl Lee Ralph singing Lift Every Voice and Sing in the Super Bowl recently, you heard uh, someone celebrating. We have not only survived, but thrived as a people. And I hope that students will be inspired to continue to grow in our knowledge of the Black experience. That was the voice of actress Cheryl Lee Ralph singing Lift Every Voice and Sing in the Super Bowl, ending that conversation with USF Professor of Africana Studies and Anthropology, Cheryl Rodriguez. Tell us a little bit about your conversation with Cheryl. Cheryl brought up a wonderful point that I've also heard from many of the people I've interviewed about a sense of shame that can exist when the black experience isn't acknowledged, um, that black children may not feel that they are good enough to become scientists or engineers or astronauts if they don't see that taught to them, if they don't see examples of that in front of them. Um, and so what she was telling me is in her travels around the world through Africa, uh, she was fortunate to have a father who was very educated and wanted her to be educated about her history as well. That. When we see uh, things like Cheryl Lee Ralph's uh, singing the, the Negro National Anthem, it's often called Lift Every Voice and Sing at the Super Bowl, that's a celebration of understanding the black experience, of black people understanding who they are because of the knowledge that they now have. We've been speaking with Kerry Sheridan, who covers health and K-12 education for WUSF. February is Black History Month, and all this month, Kerry's been talking with educators, historians, and other community members about why it's more important than ever to teach the full scope of history. You can hear and read more about the audio postcard series on wusfnews.org. Thanks, Kerry. 
Thanks, Matthew. And that's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening. <laughs>